get started. Uh, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to do just uh, just sort of, like I said, I read the book yesterday, uh, so I'm going to give you kind of my overview of the book today, and then we'll just kind of open it up for discussion and, and just see how this thing uh, kind of rips. Uh, next week, we'll start into chapter one, which is uh, uh, talks about how God speaks to us. But uh, as I was going through the book, I just, you know, was taking notes and just sort of, you know, running along and so forth. And um, I don't think you need to fish. I don't think you need to be a fisherman. I, I, I did a stupid amount of fishing when I was younger uh, to the point where I literally don't even want to do it anymore. Uh, I'm just being honest. Uh, I grew up in a family that uh, was around boats. That's what we were around. My dad owned a body shop. My, my brother got involved uh, with a fellow by the name of Mr. Mulhern. Uh, when he was around 12 or 13 years old, his son and my, and my brother were best friends and, and he owned this insanely cool boat. And, uh, so he, he got involved in, in Mr. Mullen, fixing up Mr. Mulhern's boats that led to my brother, uh, working in the body shop along with me and also with my other brother, the three of us worked in the body shop. I decided very early on that there was, there was no way on God's green earth that I was working in a body shop. And, uh, so I told my dad, I was probably about 13 or 14 at the time. I told my dad, you need to tell me how not to do what you do. <laughs> because if you can tell me how not to do what you do, I will be a happy man. I'm convinced of it. Um, my brothers, on the other hand, got totally into it. And my younger brother, Bobby, uh, started a company called Bristol Boatworks uh, down in Fort Lauderdale <clears throat> when he was 22 years old. Jeez. And uh, this, this particular company has grown to be uh, now 40 years later. Uh, 40 some odd years later um this bobby's 65 um a, 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 just a tremendous uh organization or, or i should say uh, uh influence in that particular space and he uh, but he's been around boats uh, he's he's bought more boats than i'd like to count uh, he's been, you know, he, he buys them, he sells them, he fixes, you know, he fixes them up, he, he sells them, uh, he paints boats. That's basically what they do. And I'm not talking about just, you know, I'm not talking about 22 foot Makos. Uh, my brother's done, you know, uh, Greg Norman's yacht, which is 200 and some odd feet long. Uh, you know, he's done some, just a huge, 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 uh, things. He was over in uh, Japan for a while working for, uh, 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 for some people over there, uh, the tire company, Yamada or Yamada or something, I don't know, whatever it was, doesn't matter. And um, did all their boats for a long time. Uh, he started an organization in Costa Rica uh, to paint boats in Costa Rica. His son, Benjamin, is now down there running that. So it's, uh, and, and so we've been fishing as long as I can remember. I can remember at 13 years old going out and, and literally uh, checking the tide charts uh, to find out when the ebb tide was going to be uh, at at, uh, uh, at Pompano, in Pompano Beach, where we lived, um, for this one little canal. And I would get on my bike at 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes, 3 o'clock in the morning. didn't make any difference. Uh, just get on my bike. I still can't believe my father actually allowed us to do this, but anyhow, he did. And I would get on my bike at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I would go out, and I would work you know, the ebb tide to catch snook. That's what I did. Uh, and it was just crazy. When I, I can't even tell you how many times I've been offshore. I got stories from being offshore that I've, some I've actually shared with y'all. And it's just crazy. And then uh, about 
20 years ago. Um, the guy that I loved probably more than any other person in the whole wide world, a fellow by the name of Dale Reinernecht, who was my fishing buddy, basically, um, got cancer and ultimately died. But when he got cancer, he couldn't fish anymore, and it just sort of took my, my joy away from it. And when he died, it took my joy away from it completely. And I, I really have not fished since Dale died. I don't know how long it's been Dale. Ten years at least, maybe 12. I don't know. It's been a long time. I don't know. It all seems to run together after a while. I apologize. So when I was reading this book, it was bringing back memories, you know, of, of being on the boat, uh, having to crew, uh, having to, uh, uh, to do things that you didn't want to do. I, I, I totally understood what he was talking about throughout the whole entire book. But you don't have to be a fisherman to get this book. That's my point. Yeah, you could have never fished once and you'd get this book. Because what he's talking about are, uh, he, are, are ideas. And what he's doing is he's trying to take these ideas of fishing and capture them in such a way that, uh, that you can become a mature follower of Jesus. That's really what the whole point of the book is. And I think you're going to find that, that he does that. So there's nine chapters in the book. It's really a nine-step process that he goes through. And the first thing that he talks about is he, he, says, he says, you need to realize that God speaks to you. God speaks to you. It starts with God speaking to you. One of the greatest examples I can give of this, and we'll talk more about this next week, but is in 1 Samuel chapter 3, where, where Samuel's a young man. He had been, uh, uh, his name means asked of God. And uh, his mother had been praying that she would have a child. Um, I don't think his mother realized what she was praying for, but she was praying for something that was miraculous, really. She couldn't give birth. She was uh, to- totally uh, uh, infertile. But she uh, was, was given this blessing, and God spoke to her. You read this in first chapter of, of, of 1 Samuel. God spoke to her and said, you need to give this child to me. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine you've been praying for this child, and God says to you, God speaks, says to you, you need to give this child to me. Well, here's the cool part. She did it. She did it. So she gave her son to Eli, who was the, who was the, the priest at that time, the high priest. And uh, it says that, that in 1 Samuel that he was, he was sleeping. This is so cool. Samuel was a child, and he was sleeping where the ark of the Lord was. Now, just kind of get a picture of what we're talking about. No one is allowed to go in there. I mean, in fact... They used to put a rope on the on the on the on the ankle of the of the high priest in case the guy dropped dead being in the presence of God. Okay, this is where the boy is sleeping. Wow, can you pull him out? I never even think about this. All right, the boy is sleeping in there where the ark of the God, where the ark of the Lord is. This is pretty incredible. And so he's he's in there, and 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 so he's just sleeping. He did, and it says he did not know the Lord. What it doesn't mean that he didn't know about God. He just didn't understand anything. He didn't know anything about the Lord. Nothing. He knew nothing. He didn't think it was a big deal sleeping in the, where the ark of the Lord was. And I think that's why God said, God, I love this kid. <laughs> right? And so the Lord speaks to him, says Samuel, first time, just one time. says Samuel. Samuel hears that, that his name, thinks it's Eli that's calling him. He goes to Eli and he says, he says to Eli, Hineni, which means here am I. Hineni. And We've talked about Hineni before, so we're not going to do that today. But, but he says, here, here I am. And he, and he sits down, and, uh, and, and 
Eli wakes up and says, what, 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 son, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Comes back. Samuel calls him again. Goes back to Eli. Hinani. Uh, son, I didn't call you. And that's when it says that he didn't know the Lord, which is interesting. It's, it's after that second time. It's, it, he just makes that kind of a comment. In my Bible, I actually have circled verses in that third chapter, which I, and, and I wrote the word important, and I put arrows. Anybody ever want to look at it, I'll show it to you. It's just, just, just these are important things that are in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And so he, he, says, he says, okay, he goes back to bed. This time God says, Samuel, Samuel, calls him twice. Goes back to Eli. He says, he ain't he. Eli says, son, you gotta, you got to realize, I ain't the one talking to you, but I'm telling you who is. God is talking to you. The Lord is calling you. The next time the Lord calls you, I want you to say, uh, speak, I'm listening. Speak, I'm listening. Really interesting expression. Speak, I'm listening. And so God calls him again, and he says, speak, I'm listening. And God speaks to Samuel and calls him. And brings him to that place. We'll talk more about that next week. But this this first this first thing that starts out with 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 God speaks to you is it, he relates that uh, to uh, to uh, a story where Jesus told the disciples that they were fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Drop it here. So the first chapter is called "Drop It Here." Where do you where do you drop it? You drop it where God tells you to drop it. That's where that's where God tells you to fish. You fish where God tells you to fish. And that's where God has called you. So you go to the place where you're called, but God will speak to you. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe that God necessarily speaks to people audibly as he spoke to, uh, to Samuel, but I do believe he does. He did it to me. I was 18 years old when God spoke to me audibly. He's never spoken to me audibly since. One time it happened to me in my entire life. Happened to Samuel one time in his entire life. I've, I've talked to other people. It's talked to him one time in their whole entire life. Some people never, so it's fine. Because mainly, mainly, God will speak to you through his word. We've talked about this. He's going to speak to you through his word. This is why it's so important that you be in the word. Because if you're in the word, that's when God can speak to you. So he speaks to him. And then the second thing he said, after he, after he calls that first chapter to drop it here, in the second chapter he says, the Lord is always going to equip you. Now in the, in the, in the, uh, New Testament, it says that God gave us apostles, he gave us evangelists, he gave us pastors and teachers for three reasons. He said, number one, for the equipping of the body. That's the first reason. The, the second is for the work of service, so the work of ministry. And the third uh, is the building up of the congregation. So, so that's, that's the three reasons God gave us specific people in leadership. And there is a sacred trust in leadership, and he talks about this in the book, it, that has been lost really, uh, over, over, over time, primarily because of the dark ages, if you want to know the truth. And it has con continued to bleed into leadership uh, throughout time. But he calls this grab your gear, grab your gear. If you're going fishing, you got to have your gear, right? I mean, the first thing I did when I wanted to go fishing in, the, you know, in, in, those, in those little canals in Pompano Beach, I grabbed my gear. There are two basic things that I grabbed. I grabbed a fishing pole, and I grabbed my... my Your microphone changed again for some... Oh, it did? He's trying to get back on... I can still hear you. I can still hear you, though. Okay. Okay. I well, I can't help it's you. It's just the video, right? It's the video, yeah. Oh, you so, know, I can still hear you, though. Sorry to distract you. So, 
Can't get the video to work. Doesn't matter. Um, so not only does he say grab your gear, but when he talks about grab your gear, uh, what is your gear? Well, if you're fishing, your gear is your fishing pole, poles. In my case, I always carried at least three poles. Um, and, and there was a reason for that, okay? Depending on what kind of fish were there. I needed lighter tackle to catch the little, little what we called uh, Cuban snook, which were the little golden kind of looking ones that were kind of smaller and stuff. And you couldn't feel them on the bigger, on the bigger gear. You had, to, you had to have smaller gear to, fit, to just be able to feel the bite, uh, frankly. Uh, I always had uh, my little bomber lures and things that in my little case. So I had my little, bo- my little case there, my little fishing case. And, uh, and, and that was my gear. And I had my bike. <laughs> You got to be able to get there. Do you have the PVC rod holders on your bike? I did not. <laughs> uh, I just carried them. I just basically carried them in one hand and drove with the other. Well, I mean, most of the, to be honest, right? most of the time I didn't. <laughs> I didn't actually hold the handlebars, if I recall. But anyhow, doesn't make any difference. Grab your gear is the second second thing he talks about because you got to be equipped. If you're going to be in this service of God, you're going to be equipped. And so he's going to talk about how you get equipped in that, that second chapter, third chapter. He talks about that the first point of action is on our part. This is really interesting because I had never really thought this through before. But it's up to us to take that first step. And so he calls this third chapter, he calls it cast off and go to deeper waters. It's up to you to cast off. Because, you know, the problem, I've told you the story before that Ray Cohen told me to get to Stuart because he said I was just a sponge and I was just full and needed to get wrung out. Well, that's kind of what this is talking about. You've got to take that first step in faith. Now, sometimes that first step in faith is right away. Sometimes that, that first step in faith is, is down the road a little bit. Doesn't matter. Uh, but you have to take that first step in faith. And, and sometimes that first step in faith is the most dangerous step. It really is. Uh, but it typically isn't. Typically, when you cast off from your boat and you cast off from the, from the dock, that's not where you have most of your problems. Occasionally you do. I can tell you I've had more than one boat not start. I've had more than one boat go, you know, about 25 or 30, you know, minutes and die. I can't even tell you how many times that's happened. So, you know, so clearly, you know, but you got to cast off and you got to go to deeper waters. In other words, you need to move in faith based upon what God has told you and equipped you to do. That's the first two. See how, see how it just sort of ties together like a little puzzle? And then, of course, in the fourth chapter, he talks about once we've moved, once we've stepped out, we need to realize that the boat can't be manned single-handed. This is not a single-handed boat. This ministry is not single-handed. There ain't nothing single-handed about this business. We are not in this alone. You got to have a team. And you got to realize that we need all hands on deck. That's what he calls that. That fourth chapter is called All Hands on Deck. We need all hands on deck. We need to make sure that every single one of the team is part of the team, that we're all going in the same direction, right? Because ain't nothing worse. You have to think about this. Ain't nothing worse than being on a boat. <laughs> Boy, I've had this happen. Ain't nothing worse than being on a boat. Think you got crew and you ain't. You understand that? Yeah. Think you got crew and you ain't. Like, like I'm talking about the boat is ready to blow up and there's three or four guys sitting there in the corner going, or you need, or you need people to, 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 to set baits and you need people to do cut bait and you need to put it on the hook and you need to get it out and so forth. And they're standing there waiting for you to do it while I'm driving the boat. 
Well, someone's got to drive the boat. Someone's got to cut the bait. Someone's got to bait the hook. Someone's got to do what. We all have a part in this whole thing. You understand what I'm saying? So that's really what he talks about in that, in that one. And he calls that all hands on deck. And then at the heart of the book in chapter 5, he, he talks about our spiritual maturity is investing, which is what we talked about last week, last time we were together, last week in Titus, right? That, that Titus, uh, that, excuse me, that Barnabas in, invested in Paul. And that's why we got what we got. Can you imagine if Barnabas did not invest in Paul? What, what would the church look like if, if Barnabas had not invested in Paul? So... At the heart of our spiritual maturity is investing in people that we influence. And investing in people creates a culture that allows greatness to occur. Hear that? That's right from the book, by the way. There is, it, it's investing in people creates a culture that allows greatness to occur. Barnabas took the time to invest in Saul, who ultimately became the Apostle Paul. And that investment changed the world forever. And here's what he says in the book. This is really good. Investing in others creates a culture of clarity, shared vision, and authentic leadership. Culture is, is all about knowing where you're going. That's what we're talking about. Knowing and having a direction. But you've got to have clarity, shared vision, and authentic leadership. And if you think about it, all quality ministry, I don't care what it is, all quality ministry comes from investing in the people, and listen to this, that are on board. That's where you need to make your investment. Do you hear that? You know, as, as an investment advisor, one of the things that I did is I had to choose between what I invested and didn't invest in. You have a limited amount of resources. Can't invest in every, you know, there's, I don't know how many stocks there are on a, on a, uh, in the market now. It's probably eighteen or 19,000, I think. It was, I don't know for 100% sure because I'm not really in it anymore. But there's a lot. You can't invest in 18,000 companies, nor would you want to. You got to deselect. You got to figure out which ones are the ones. Well, you in ministry, you invest in the people that are actually on board. Now, our goal is to try to get as many on board as we can. But once we get them on board, we need to invest in them. And we need to under, understand that, and we'll talk about this in the last chapter. We need to understand that, that the way you keep them on board is through investment and by preserving serving them. So it's a, it's a really interesting thought. But so this fifth chapter, he talks about that and he calls this earning your place in the crew, which I think is really cool. Earning your place in the crew. Because eventually you want the captain to look at you and say, dude, you're part of this crew. And I'm, I'm very happy to have you on board. In fact, I know that, it, that having you on board has made this a better ship. That's, that's what you're looking for. Having you on board has made this a better ship. So in the sixth chapter, he talks about that once God speaks and he equips, and after you've risked it all to, to, to set out and you've, and you've made your place in the crew, God wants you and your crew to expect high waves, storms, rocky, you know, crescents and so on. You need to expect sharks, you need to expect, you know, you understand what a shark is, right? What's a shark? Predator. Predator. It's exactly right. That's all a shark is. Shark is not a bad thing, by the way. It just is what it is. It's predator. So expect predators. Expect sharks. He says, expect rocks. How many, how many galleons, Spanish galleons, in, you know, over the years, why do we call this place the Treasure Coast? 
because they didn't expect rocks. So they had 20-foot ships, 20-foot keel ships that were, that were hitting reefs that were about 14 or 15 feet deep. Couldn't see those 14 or 15 feet, but they hit them. That's when they saw them. And it sunk the boat. And before you know it, they were dead. Uh, and all their treasure was on the bottom of the ocean. Expect to be tested. Expect to be attacked. Expect to be occasionally running aground. And then expect, listen to this, this is important. Expect blurred vision and frustration. Expect it. It's going to happen. You will never become a mature believer if you've never had blurred vision. If you've never had frustration and I'm going to tell you you've never fished if you didn't understand blurred vision and and frustration fishing is singularly the most frustrating thing there is to do it's probably why I don't do it anymore but it is singularly the, the that's why they call it fishing that's why they call it fishing that's right you know you know who the best fisherman is I, I remember uh 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 Zayak what, what's Zayak's first name Eddie, Eddie thank you uh, Ed Zayek said to me one time, who, by the way, is possibly the best fisherman I ever met in my entire life. Not kidding. Ed Zayek has forgotten more about fishing than I'll ever know. But Ed Zayek said to me, he says, you know why everybody thinks I'm a good fisherman? I said, why? He said, because I fish. Now, now get that. Did you hear what I just said? Everybody thinks I'm a great fisherman. Why do they think I'm a great fisherman? It's because I fish. Lines in the water. Bait on the hook. I'm throwing lines, I'm throwing lines, I'm throwing lines, I'm throwing lines. And as a result, I get some huge fish. I get some little fish. I get a whole bunch of different fish. But it's not because I'm a great fisherman. It's because I'm there. I'm throwing lines. Gaston. Uh, my next door neighbor. Some people think my next door neighbor is the single great. I can show you pictures on my phone. It'll blow your mind. Of my next door neighbor, some of the fish he's caught off of our dock. It's, he caught, a, he caught a, a speckled trout. I think I've shown some of you this picture. He caught a speckled trout, and I am not exaggerating. He was holding it like this. I have the picture on my phone. I took it. I've never seen a speckled trout. Speckled trout, by the way, run about about two foot. Okay, this this sucker was at least four and a half. She was just huge, and she was pregnant too. Man, she just bulging stomach, you know. And I'm thinking, golly, she's just spawning off like crazy. This is great. Uh, of course, she didn't make it, uh, uh, you know, to the table. She got right back in the water. She was, you know, we put that. But, but at, at the end of the day, why does, does my next door neighbor uh, catch these kind of fish? You know why? Because he's got lines in the water all the time. He's always out in the back of his dock, man. He's out in the, my dock. He's, he's out there fast. Keeps throwing, throwing bait in the water. That's what it's all about. So once God speaks to you, expect sharks, rocks, and drift. And we're going to talk about, we're going to bring back that whole idea of, that I've talked to you about before, drift, and how that basically leads, I call it the six Ds, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll look at that again during that period. In the seventh chapter, he talks about that more than any other thing in fishing, you've got to be tenacious. You've got to stick to it. You've got to, you got to, you got to sail out the next day. <laughs> no matter what happened the previous day, it's over. Previous day's done. New from new mindset. We're going fishing next day. Everything could have gone completely wrong the day before, but if the boat's running, we're out. And and that to me was really incredible because that particular chapter he calls storms at sea. This is interesting. 
Do you realize that the only way you can experience a storm at sea is to be out in the sea? I want to say that again. The only way you can experience a storm at sea is to be out in the sea. So if you're not out in the sea, if you're not out there doing the thing that God wants you to do, that he spoke to you to do, that he equipped you to do, that he geared you up to do, that he gave you a boat and a crew to do, and you're not doing that, you're never going to experience storms at sea. And so, so you could argue that the best way to avoid storms at seas is to never be out to sea. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, you don't want to avoid this. You want to, what? What do you want to do? What do you what do you want to do about storms at sea? You want to you want to you want to you want to lean into the storm at sea. Because I'm going to tell you another thing, a little little secret that most people don't mind. I have caught a humongous amount of big fish over over, over the course of my life. I've caught some huge sailfish. I've caught a couple of marlin. My brother has caught insane amount of marlin. But here's why we caught those fish. The only time you're going to catch, well, not only, but the vast majority of the time you're going to catch a sailfish or marlin is when the rocking is at its highest. Oh, yeah. They don't come to the top unless it's screaming out there. They come to the top because everything's getting churned up. That's why they come up. So you got to be out there when it's six to eight foot seas if you want to catch yourself a marlin. Definitely, if you want to catch yourself a marlin, you better be out there at least six foot eight foot seas sailfish for sure um and it's real it's real when you're out there in six eight foot seas on a 25 foot mako i got news for you i've been there uh, storms and seas then the last two chapters are really kind of cool because in the eighth chapter he talks about remember the fishing is meaningless if you never catch any fish uh, i want you to think about that for a second just let that sort of percolate in your brain you know this guy just bought a house over in a river so he could go fishing basically it's a joke i just i don't know why he did this but that, that, that's why he did this okay uh i get it okay i bought a i bought a house on the river originally because i wanted to go fishing that's why i did it okay he bought a house on the river so he could go fishing but fishing is meaningless if you don't ever catch any fish if you never have anything to show for it what's the point and you will get frustrated. Now, there have been a couple of examples in Scripture of guys who went fishing and never caught anything. That's Jeremiah, for example. But for the most part, the Bible is littered with examples of people that stepped up and God said, all right, let's go. Samuel is a good example. Of, of people that, that, that put their, their, their hooks in the water and they did it. But let me tell you something. You can throw all the hooks you want in the water and they will not catch a thing unless there's bait on that hook. You think about that? You got to bait those hooks. Now, if you're a commercial fisherman, he talks about this in the book, you, you might run as many as 5,000 hooks on one long line. And every one of them 5,000 hooks has got a piece of bait on it. Now, let me tell you what that. I've baited a lot of hooks. I have never baited 5,000 hooks. I can't even imagine baiting 5,000 hooks, but I got news for you. Many hands make light work. That's why you need crew. You cannot bait 5,000 hooks yourself. There's no way. It's not a one-man job. So at the end of the day, we need to understand that, that, he, that, that fishing is meaningless if you never catch any fish. And there is significance, there's meaning, there's fulfillment, there's impact 
in seeing fish on the deck. There's just, that's when it's meaningful. You know, every time I went out fishing, I wanted to make sure there was blood on the deck. That sounds like a terrible thing to say, but that, that, was, that was basically what it was all about. You wanted to see blood on the deck. Not yours. Not yours. Yeah. Preferably not anybody in the cruise either, okay? But, <laughs> but I, I can tell you that more, more often than not, we did not see that much blood. We saw a lot of green stuff occasionally, and it really had nothing to do with blood. Think about that one for about a minute. Um, but yeah. but it, it was, it, we, we saw that, but, but at the end of the day, Look, you're gonna. It'll wear you out if you never catch any fish. So you need to find significance. You need to find meaning. You need to. You need to understand that this is what this is all about. I can tell you. People ask me all the time. You know. You know. Um, what do you do to share your faith? What do you do to share your faith? This man came to my house. Aaron came to my house. Want to do it? Want to do some work for us and so forth? And within how long? Did we know that we were believers? You opened up your garage. <laughs> now, how'd that happen? How'd that happen? Because I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about, you know, so I'm going to talk about Jesus. With, with I don't care who comes. So, do you think Tuck has any doubt that I'm a believer? No. no. Do you think Taylor has any doubt that I'm a believer? No. I mean, because, because we just talk about it. We're, we're, we're hooking, we're taking hooks, we're putting bait on the hook. Now, let me tell you something. There ain't nothing more mindless than baiting a hook. If you've done it, you know it. It's mindless. You take a chunk of something that's already dead, you put it on the hook, and you go to the next one. Even, even, even uh, you know, setting up ballyhoo. You know, setting up ballyhoo is really one of the easiest things in the world to do. You just run the, you know, run the lure, or not the lure, but the... Uh, the line through it, you hook, you hook the, uh, the, the, the hook at one end, and, and you're ready. You get the next one. Let's go. You know, and you got to have a nice, strong leader, and, and just boom, you're done. Takes, I, I can do a, a ballyhoo in about one, well, I was going to say one second, but it takes longer than that. In less than a minute, I can tell you that. It doesn't take me more than a minute to do it. And, well, why? Well, the first time I did it, it didn't. Took me a lot longer to do. If I'm the first time, I, I can't tell you how many ballyhoo I destroyed uh, learning how to do it. But once I learned a technique, it just boom, boom, pull that thing through, look it in the back, and you're done. Oh, wait a minute. It's like riding a bike, as my brother likes to say. You know, it's just all about, you know, doing it. But I can tell you, the first time I rode a bike, I crashed and burned, boom, crashed and burned, crashed and burned, and the next thing I know, I was riding a bike. Same thing with witnessing. Same thing about sharing your faith. The same thing about fishing for men. Because that's what Jesus said to, the, to his disciples who were fishermen. He said, look, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Not just fishers of fish. And so that eighth chapter, he calls it, you got to get the bait in the water. So how do you get the bait in the water? Really, it's a very, really complex thought. <laughs> you put it put in the water. <laughs> You just don't leave it on the boat. So you talk to people about who you are and what you are, and, and you talk about. Look, look, people love to talk. Do you ever think about that? They really do. So if, so if I'm going to talk, I'm I'm kind of like you know, what's the most important thing to me? Jesus. 
So I remember, you know, I've told you guys, I've shared this guy this story with you. I was saved on November 23rd, 1973, 8.30 at night. People ask, well, how do you know that? And I tell them, it's because I was there. And, <laughs> but, but I was saved because my cousin's boyfriend, George, was singing a song that he was working on just, just for the heck of it. He, he didn't even have the whole entire song written yet. But he said, hey, I got this little ditty I'm working on. And it goes like this. It goes, talking about Jesus, talking about him. Open my heart and I let him in. Talking about Jesus, talking about him. Open my heart and I'll live forever. I'll live forever. I heard those words. And I was like, wow, that's what it's all about. And so I asked him to come in my heart, November 23rd, 1973, 839. And so it's just that simple. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about him. We're opening up our heart. And we're letting him in. That's what it's all about. So not only do you have to cut bait. You've heard that expression, right? Cut bait. You know, cut bait. You need to cut bait. Eventually, you got to cut bait. So get that bait in the water, talk about Jesus, and I'm telling you, remarkable things will happen. You'll have conversations you never even dreamed of having. If you don't ever talk about Jesus, guaranteed, you will never catch any fish. I'm just telling you, you will not catch any fish. Period. Ain't gonna happen. And then the final thing is, he said, you gotta also realize that you need to preserve that catch. You gotta, you know, if you catch a fish, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta get him in the locker. You gotta get him in the bait well. You got to get him someplace where he's going to stay fresh. Because they'll go spoil. They'll spoil. I'm telling you how quick they spoil is scary to me. Uh, I know I've got my friend Dale. Dale used to tell me that the, the, uh, the, when he first started hunting for deer, uh, he didn't like the idea of having to gut the gear, the, the deer. He just, just they call it field dressing. He, he, he had no interest in field dressing these deer until he realized that every deer he caught was, was in nastiness by the time he got it back because he didn't field dress it. The other thing he found out was it weighs a whole lot more with all of its guts in it than it does without him. But, but more importantly is he preserved the catch. So you've got to preserve the catch. You've got to make sure you put it on ice. You've got to do whatever it needs to do. You've got to preserve that catch. We talk about this all the time. The ministry is only as good as what you leave it. Listen to that. Ministry is only as good as what you leave it. So we need to remember, as Maddie has told me on numerous occasions, and I love this expression, that we are one generation away from what? That? No church. No church. Extinction. We are one generation away from not being here. So we need to always be building a legacy. I, you know, I think one of the greatest, and I've shared this in the past, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was when Ray Cohen said to me when he was about to die, he looked at me and he said, at least I know I got one disciple. I'm leaving it to you. And then, and, and I can't wait for the day that I say that to, 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 to other people, to young people, to Aaron. I, you know, Aaron, at least I know I got one disciple. I, I, I know I got that. You see, that's what we're talking about. Everybody understand where we're going? So that's the book. That's the whole book. I just gave you the whole book. You don't have to read it now. Can we get our money back? <laughs> Once your money back, you can get it. Okay. Stop that Venmo. But 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 I but I will but I will share with you.
that if you do these steps, first step we're talking about next week, let Lord, let, let God speak to you. Let God speak to you. It's where it all begins. And so we're going to talk about that next week. I'm really looking forward to that. But, but understand, God is going to equip you. He's going to, to, to give you crew. He's going to, he's going to do things. He wants you then, once he gives you those things, though, to invest back in them. Expect sharks, rocks, and drift. Going to happen. And then bait the hook. Do your job. Get out there and fish. And once you catch them, preserve that catch. Make sure those people stick. Make sure those people stick around. The worst thing you can do is not let somebody stick around. You know, my goodness, you know, we talked about the, the parable of the soils, right? Most of, the, most of the seed, unfortunately, falls on soil that ain't good. It falls on the highway. It falls in the rocks. It falls in the weeds. And it gets choked out. But my goodness, if you've got good soil, plant that seed. Nurture that seed. Grow that plant. Do whatever it takes to make that happen because that's really what this is all about. So anyhow, that's, that's what we're going to talk about for the next nine weeks. Uh, I hope everybody joins us. And I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are. We've got 15 minutes or so. Well, i got direct application. And um, I don't know if you guys know any of my story or not. But, um, um, you know, I have... I don't. I haven't met you guys yet, Aaron. I'm Clark. Nice to meet you, Clark. And John. 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 That's um, cool. Corey, I met you last week. But um, <clears throat> you know, I, I was getting in this first chapter, and and you pretty much covered it. You know, promptings and things, and you know when you said uh, set your um, or drop it here. Um, and then you said, set your lines. I was thinking, set your lines, set your lines, and, or what? No, get your gear, drop it here. Drop it here, get your gear, yeah. That's the order. Yeah. But I was thinking, oh, it's, it just sounds better to say, get your gear and drop it here. Mm. There is an order to it. But so intersecting that with my life and my journey, um, It, uh, I didn't have a clue what God was doing in my life. And I, I mean, everybody can kind of probably intersect with that. I mean, um, that's why I kind of have a situation, or I mean, not a situation, but difficulty understanding people that give me this answer or give me this, you know, when I start talking to people about, about Jesus, it's like, well, I've always been a Christian. I just don't understand that, quite honestly, myself. But this is the way God interfaced with, inter kind of brought me to a knowledge of Him was, um, I grew up in a, in a family that was, uh, I would say they were seekers. They were seekers of God, but, and so I grew up in a church that was a church-going church. But um, I wasn't ready to meet God at that point, quite honestly. And God intersected with me. I mean, I have a great love for music, 
God put music in my heart, and it's always been a part of me for a long, long time. I had no idea how that was going to intersect with further on down the road and the implications of that in my life, but but it did. God, God put me on this journey. I became a believer through, I don't really want to focus on that so much, but I became a believer. But then that's, you know, there was a period of time where I, people were pouring into me, mentoring into me. I put music away. I was, I was playing music in bars. I was, you know, I was kind of going down just, a, you know, through high school. You know, I was playing, playing gigs, all that stuff. And from a worldly standpoint, little did I know God was preparing me for this church. And God continued to invest into me. Not, even, not only, well, there was a time where I had to become a part of the crew. You know, there was a time where you know, first I had to say yes to God, realize who he is, which is like when you were talking today about um, there, there's a risk when you go out to see, you have to understand what the implications of that. I had no idea what the risk was, you know, I, as a young kid, you know, so um, I, I didn't even contemplate that. And that's probably a good thing because sometimes when you really realize what it what it is, it scares you, you know, to the fact of like, well, I could die here, you yeah, know. Not, not pursuing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got all those questions going on and stuff like that in your head, but you know, God, there's a point where you just gotta say yes or no. I said yes, and then the journey starts. Yeah. So God put me in a crew where I had no idea what I was doing, and <clears throat> but yet He equipped me years back, playing experience, <laughs> playing in bands, all that kind of stuff. But Steve Jester, who started started this this fellowship, I'll say, saw something in me and gave me the opportunity. And um, <clears throat> I tell you, there's been no greater joy. I didn't know what I was doing. I had experience. I mean, I knew how to bait the hook. I knew how to... Um, create community, what I was looking for, you know, like, you know, um, I, I understood a lot of the process, but yet I was really, really rough on the edges and I didn't, didn't know the implications or, you know, how to, how to actually do it. That's where the team thing comes in. And people surround you, encourage you, help you, help equip you actually, help you learn. Um, and so, um, yeah, he just gave me this, this opportunity. And there was a point, you know, when you, when you talk about the promptings, God works 
marvelously and differently in everybody's life in different ways with those, with those promptings. And that's what I really honed on in that first chapter was like um, Matthias took the place of, of Judas and it's like they cast lots for him, which is an interesting thing to think about. But was, was uh, Matthias ready? Probably not. Probably I don't not. Know, maybe he was, but um, but he got on the cruise, you know. And so, where are you? Where's I mean, are you on the cruise? I know all you guys are. It's a, so the journey started. It's like, where are we going on this? You know, and point me in the right direction. So I mean, that's a great, great prayer every morning. Point me in the right direction, God. Uh. Um, proper vision yeah so yeah we started over 30 years ago uh, God God gave me the opportunity and um, he, he equipped me through the years um, and here we are um, yeah and you know you don't even realize you don't even realize how much you invested in me no I don't uh there, you know, that, that's what's so cool. Uh, you know, there's a difference between investment and accumulation. Uh, most folk are into accumulation. Only a handful are really into investing. And there is a big difference between investing and accumulation. I just asked Chuck. Chuck, Chuck understands this, this. There's risk involved. There is risk involved in investing. There's really no risk involved in saving money in a CD. I mean, let's just, I mean, just be honest, okay? I mean, stick it in a CD, it's just, you know, okay, in the end of five months, they give you a couple of thousand dollars, whatever it is, you know, or, or whatever the term is. Uh, that's, that's the parable of the talents, man. CDs are the guy that buried it in the ground, frankly. But the other two dudes, they invested. They took the whole lot and they poured it into somebody and into something to let it grow. And the only way you're going to get multiple growth is through investing. That's the only way you're going to get it. Uh, it's a fact. Now, there's a problem with investing. And the problem with investing is there are sharks, there are rocks, and there is drift. Trust is, me when I tell you that. But there is compounding. But there is compounding. And, and, you know, and the truth of the matter is, is that I'd much rather have the catch than the bait. Because if you're accumulating, all you got is bait. I'd much rather have the catch. You understand where I'm coming from? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about. So you have no idea how much you invested in me. And so we've been friends, Clark and I have been friends for nearly 40 years. How many people you know you've been friends with for 40 years? That's, that's meaningful, man. That's meaningful. And I can still go up to him on a Sunday and say, hey, where are we going for lunch? And he still has no idea. <laughs> but, we still, but that's what we want to do. We want to go have fellowship. We want to, we, it ain't old after 40 years. It's better. Our fellowship's better. Would you agree? Yeah, Our fellowship's better now than it ever was. We joined the crew when we... When we said yes to, yeah. to God, but he prepared us for, for the journey ahead. And here's what I think is cool about being part of the crew. You not only say yes to the captain, 
but you say yes to the first mate, the second mate, the, the lowest dude on the, on the, on the, on the boat. Because if you don't work together, I can tell you when you get into sharks and storms and drift or rocks, dude, you better all be on the same, you better all be, be paddling in the same direction. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Paul in, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, talks about, he, there's, an, there's a word in there that's, it's called, the word in Greek actually is, the, in its purest form, means under rower. Under rower. I think some of you have heard me teach on this before, under rowers. But if you haven't, we'll, we'll, I'll definitely do it in this, in this section. But under rowers were the guys in the bottom and the, uh, the base of the boat that kept that boat going in the right direction under rowers so imagine have you ever you ever see those old ships from you know you see the the the, the oars sticking out the side mm -hmm. okay well uh, i hate to break this to you but someone's got to pull them oars those are the guys called under rowers paul says that we're under rowers everyone who is part of the body of christ is an under rower now how hard is it when they're not all in line oh my gosh you don't but even you want to think. Have but you got to have somebody going like this. <laughs> got to have somebody steering. Right? Beating that drum, man. You got to have somebody up there at the front of that thing who's beating that drum. So those boys all know which way to pull. Yes, sir. You might want to say a few words about the difference between fishing and hunting. Mm. Um, and, and those are metaphors also. Oh, man. Hunting. You know what? We will definitely do that. I promise you I will do that. I have done both. No, no, but hunting is confrontational and aggressive. It's very much. Get the deer with one shot or it gets away. But fishing, very with the true. exception, obviously, of catching marlin on... on oh, no, that's the same. Fishing is more gentle and, and seductive. But uh, catching marlin is definitely seductive. <laughs> Sorry? You better fake them out. You got to fake them out. So, but there are people that hunt. In the in the metaphor for for believers, and other yeah. people that fish, and yeah. fishing is the is the right way to do it. You know, it's interesting you said that because God never tells us to hunt. You ever think about that? He does never tells us to hunt. He tells us to fish. So yeah, there's a big difference between the two. Uh, I wasn't much of a hunter, just to be honest. Uh, never had the really never had the the stomach for it, if you want to know the truth. Uh, but uh, I get it. I don't, you know, I, I always got fishing. Fishing fishing was just something I understood. So when you talk about the boat, you know, everybody getting on the boat, I look at the boat like a church. Yeah, it is the church. So you can decide if you're going to go on a boat ride. I mean... Or you're going to be part of the crew. I was looking back because I know we went fishing. I don't remember what we caught. Did we catch any? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah, we went out in your boat a couple times. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember if you helped or didn't help because a lot of people don't help. No, I helped. I remember you helped. And I'm thinking, what's this going to help out? What's he know about fishing? He's an investing guy. And I think you helped out. I don't know if we rigged Ballyhoo or what we did. Yeah, that's what we did. And, but we, I remember um, most people come on the boat and they ride. Yep. Because they don't know. It's sometimes in, when you go on somebody else's boat too, you don't know their program, but. You can at least steer. That's what I look at the church. If yeah. you, you can decide whether you're going to just sit here and go for a boat ride. 
and you can boat ride for you know six months. I think Gordon always talked about it as being um, uh, soaking. He used mm. the term soaking. Yeah. But at some point, you got to start doing the small jobs of cleaning up, washing down, Cut start bait. to drive the boat, start to do the bait. Because it's not all reeling in the fish either until you got you got to decide. So the boat is like a church. And I thought, I've read some of what he did. He's, he's got a, um, a lot of analogies. Because it, it takes a team to run that ship or that boat. I mean, you're not going to, I never, I never fished alone. Because it's just, it's too hard, especially offshore. It, it takes, it takes, I've tried it with two. It's hard. I don't know, did we go two or we go? We no, we went, I think there were six of us. Yeah. Four and that's the other thing. When you get on that boat, you're six, eight hours out there with guys. I mean, our boat was called the Real Believers. So we... R-E-E-L. <laughs> so we had... Um, it was always a, a way to evangelize to folks. We, we'd invite yeah. folks out. And, and some were believers, some weren't. But when you were done, you knew where we stood. Right. Um, and it was an interesting because you're, you're captive for six, eight hours with a bunch of believers. And it's you could put on a show for a little bit. But... You know, Matthew 13 and 31, I'm reading about that. It's talk about the kingdom of heaven. It's like the sower a mustard seed. Yeah. You know, it is the smallest herb, but it consumes everything because it grows to a point of like a tree where the birds in the air yeah. can actually go there. It's an herb, but it's all encompassing. Because it's the smallest seed, but it produces a tree. And that is so consuming. When you say the church, it's what you're going to put in it. Are you going to invest in everything in God? Yeah. Because God is all consuming. He does not look for a piece. A little leaven, leaven the whole lump. You can put a little bit of yeast in some bread, and that thing will blow up because the yeast consumed the bread. And God is looking for us to be consumed in him. So when you talk about this fishing expedition, I'm looking at it through the eyes of scripture. And it says to me, and you said something more about the church. Well, if you just come to church, you're not going to get nothing out of the church. Come on. You got to really be invested in the kingdom. And that's why it says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's not just investing in the building. It's investing in the people. Amen. By the way, that's the only investment that lasts. Amen. That's eternal. Because this building is deteriorating, folks. <laughs> this building that you're sitting in right here is getting old, and it is rusting, and stuff is wearing out. You constantly need to be updated. Updated all the time. Man, I am telling you how much money we put into this building to update it. But investing in people is awesome. Because that investment don't go away. So anyhow, let's get out of here. Randy, before you walk out, you just need to pray for us. Would you please? <laughs> well, Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful to be in your presence. Amen. Lord, we're thankful, and I'm thankful for these men. I ask your blessing upon each and every person here that we would go forward today, that we would be fishers of men. Lord, that we would take this book to heart, that we would walk with you intimately, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, my brother.